This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking to Arne Freund, the co-founder and CEO of Wilco, a startup dedicated to empowering developers to unlock their full potential. We'll be talking about why imposter syndrome affects so many engineers and how they can overcome it. I'm your host, Jeff Perry, founder of More Than Engineering and creator of the Engineering Career Accelerator Program, helping engineers and technology professionals with leadership and career coaching to create meaningful careers and lives. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Arne Freund, the co-founder and CEO of Wilco. Arne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chef. Glad to be here. Now, so glad to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to on a daily basis? Maybe share a little bit of background on what Wilco is and some of the things you and the team are up to these days. I've been a software engineer or in engineering management for the better part of my career. Started writing my first computer program when I was seven or eight, something like that, in, in basic of all languages, but have been professionally uh, writing software since about 2005, initially at a big company, but very quickly got to the startup world where I've been a software engineer and eventually managing software teams for quite a while, most notably VP of engineering at Handy and then at WeWork. And now the co-founder of Wilco, where we're kind of like a flight simulator, but for software engineers instead of pilots. So engineers need a place to practice. They need to own their skill, hone those skills. And uh, to do that, you need a safe environment that constantly challenges you instead of learning on the job, which could be slow and, and inefficient and error prone. I mean, there's all sorts of places out there to learn development tools and stuff like that. And and courses and things. How is the Wilco experience different from some of the others that are out there right now? So the key word that you said was learn, and we want you to practice, not just learn. So there's a difference between understanding the theory, knowing how to write code, and actually being a software engineer in a team working on a production system. And that's what we're trying to help you with, not the stuff that you learn in college, but the day-to-day things like what are the security implications of what I'm doing? Is what I'm doing right now affecting performance? How do I communicate with my team members? How do I ensure that lessons are learned and implemented when something goes wrong? It's a combination of soft and hard skills that you know have to do with so many things other than just writing code. And that leads us into some of the things I think we're going to talk a lot about today in terms of the soft skills and and working with people and things, especially in the technology world, there are a lot of people coming into 
tech and software and engineering from different backgrounds because of all the growth and opportunities that are there. But what that means is sometimes they can deal with this feeling of what we'd often call imposter syndrome. So talk to me about your thoughts on imposter syndrome. How can someone kind of identify if they're dealing with it and maybe just say, what is it? So, you know, maybe we'll start with a preface and, and a disclaimer and say that imposter syndrome is not a personality disorder. It is a syndrome, it is a phenomenon, but it's not a disorder. However, if you do feel like you need help, then, you know, we're not experts. I'm definitely not an expert. Please, you know, talk to someone professional. But in the colloquial sense, we see imposter syndrome all around us all the time as software engineers. And one of the ways I like to think about it is imposter syndrome is when there is a gap between your ability to close a gap and where you are today. What do I mean by that? So let's say you don't know something or your skills are lacking. There's something you need to work on, but you don't trust your ability to close that gap. That's what I call imposter syndrome. You look around you, you think, oh, these people were able to pick up on that skill. They were able to learn it, but I'm not as good as them. That's the, the easiest definition of imposter syndrome. Give me an example of like one of these gaps that someone might have a hard time closing in some sense. Let's say you join the team and this happened to me on my first job. I'm fresh out of college. I know how to write code. That's what I learned in college, right? And give me a function. Well, I write the hell out of it, right? <laughs> but guess what? When you join a team, there is no function that you need to write. So the first day at the company was just general employee orientation. You know, that's easy. The second day, the team takes, or the second half, sorry, the team takes me out to lunch. And then, you know, they start talking shop. And I realize, wait, I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, what does a production code base even look like? I've never seen one. Like, all I did was write functions in college. What is a code base? And, and how do we divide the responsibility among the team? How do I even set my computer up so that I can work on everything I'm supposed to work? I don't know any of this. What am I doing here? Is this too early? You know, maybe I should go back to college and learn some more until I get back here. And, you know, that was like during lunch, that was the only thing I can think of. And people who know me know that I'm generally a very confident person. But in the back of my head, I'm running these scenarios. I'm like, I'm going to get fired probably after today when they realize that I don't really belong here and I don't know what to do. Then I try to sort of compose myself and, and think, wait, but everyone around me was in the same situation, right? They also came after theoretical training. They were also in the same state probably of trying to figure out what's happening here and how do they apply everything that they've learned in real life. And that's when, you know, I started to relax and get into motion. And I think that is a gap that I'm talking about. When you get to a point where you don't trust your ability to be at the next level, or you don't trust your talents to fit in. I sometimes think about imposter syndrome. It's almost like you don't belong. It's almost like you're there and you're like, I'm here, but should I be here? It's like this fear that almost someone's gonna come up with behind you with a clipboard and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I think we made a mistake here. You know, just this constant fear that that's gonna happen. But why do you think this is so common? Like in many respects, all of us deal with this idea of imposter syndrome to some degree at some point or and, and usually multiple points along our lives and our careers. 
Why do you think this is so common for engineers to deal with? I think, you know, surrounding yourself with very intelligent people can obviously, you know, make you question yourself, right? Everyone around me is so intelligent. Maybe I don't belong here. And you don't actually see that other people are battling the same thing as you, right? You don't see how they got to where they are. You know, you look at someone that you admire and, oh my God, they do such a great job. And you know what? Maybe you even wrote a piece of code and they're reviewing it. Those people who you look up to are reviewing your code and you're like, oh my God, what are they going to say? That's a situation that's bound to, like code reviews, I think, are designed to cause imposter syndrome at people. And it doesn't matter, you know, how much experience you have. Let's say you have 20 years of experience, but you just joined a team and someone who's been on that team for even just a year. And maybe that's the entire experience they have. They're bound to find something in your code that is not right. And guess what? They're going to point it out. And if they're good teammates, they're good colleagues, they're pointing out in a, in a very supportive way and they're trying to make it constructive. But, you know, let's face it, not all colleagues are ideal. And there's a chance that they're also calling it out in a very uh, non-polite way, I'll say. And if you're in that situation and you don't have imposter syndrome, I would say, you know, you know power to you, but you must have some special blood flowing in your veins. I mean, some of these different experiences we go into that are new and uncertain and we're, we're having to, to learn a bunch of new things or surrounded by smart people, a lot of times we think of imposter syndrome as really kind of activating or making us more aware of these insecurities that we have, right? But maybe imposter syndrome is more than just insecurity. Like, why do these feelings come from? It's more than just insecurities, but maybe it's something else too. Insecurities obviously seems very correlated, but... You can look at someone who's very confident and not know that they're going through imposter syndrome. And it's not necessarily because they're insecure. It's because maybe they just got a data point that caused them to question themselves momentarily. I know some people who, when they get imposter syndrome, could be in that feeling for a few hours or even a few days. And I know people who get imposter syndrome more frequently, but it only lasts a minute. And it's like, oh, my God, someone, like you said, someone's going to come here with a clipboard and say, I don't belong here. But then a minute later, you know what? Actually, I got this. I think I'm OK. This actually happened to me in a test in college. There was something in one of the classes, one of the courses, the professor taught us something for five minutes the entire semester. No one thought this thing is going to be on the test. And guess what? That was one of the biggest questions. And I go into that and I start to think, oh my God, this is like, I'm going to flunk this test. This is awful. This is bad. I don't know how to answer this. I don't belong here. And two minutes later, I'm like, wait, everyone learned this topic for the sum of five minutes throughout the entire semester. I'm not the only person dealing with this. And all of a sudden I started feeling better. And guess what? You know, after five minutes, the professor comes in and says, for those of you who don't remember, this and that and the other. And, and, you know, that actually made the question pretty trivial. This thing happens to software engineers all the time. You know, they look at something and they think to themselves, oh my God, how can I even do this? Or I look at something that someone else wrote and they're so much better than me. And then maybe you start breaking it apart and you say, well, this part is actually something I can comprehend. And then you break it apart a bit further and you say to yourself, well, 
if I look at these two things together, I'm actually making sense of it. And I think I would have done the same thing. And, you know, after a few of those iterations, you start thinking to yourself, you know what, I can do this. This could have been something I wrote. The better you are at reassuring yourself that the syndrome will pass, the faster it will pass, right? This is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I always try to come up with some external validation that what I'm feeling now is not because of something I did or something I'm not good at, but that's subjectively challenging. Yeah. And so you're starting to talk about some of these ways to kind of deal with this because you mentioned like your example when you're in a test and, and plenty of other situations that we deal with, right? Sometimes this imposter syndrome, these feelings of self-doubt can leave us almost paralyzed, right? But breaking it down or finding some other source of validation, you know, for a little bit, it was like recognizing to some degree that you're not the only one who's dealing with this, right? And, you know, maybe not in a test situation that you can actually talk to other people about that, but in plenty of other situations, if we just like open our mouths and express, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. You're probably not the only one who's dealing with it now, or at least has dealt with it. So these are some other ideas, but I'm curious, do you have other ideas or habits or actions that engineers can use when they're in that space to kind of get from, I'm self-doubting and having a hard time kind of moving through this, maybe getting a little bit paralyzed to breaking free and, and really making progress through it. Yeah. So first of all, I think what you said about communicating with other team members is spot on because I can't count how many times I've dealt with something that I wasn't sure about. And then I reach out to someone else and they're like, yeah, of course, I was in the exact same situation a week ago or two months ago or when we first set up this on-call structure, none of us knew what we were doing. You know, there's so many, so many different scenarios for that. Uh, so definitely talk to other team members, especially the supportive ones. I'm sure you'll find that all of us are struggling with the same thing. So that's one thing you should do. The other is, like I said earlier, break the problem into smaller pieces. I think, you know, if, if you would have to say what is the one skill that software engineers are really good at. It's breaking large problems into smaller ones. That's the whole idea of software abstraction, right? We take something huge, we try to think about the next level of resolution, and we take up a system and build an architecture out of smaller parts. And then we take a single service or a single component and break it further into other types of hierarchies that make it understandable to us. So just do the same with the problem. And very quickly, you'll see that, all right, maybe there are parts that you don't feel comfortable with, but maybe there are a lot of parts that you do, and those can help you kind of gain momentum with this. Another thing I would say that, that you know, might be a bit more controversial, but there is the old adage that developers hate context switches, both in, in systems and in their mind. But I actually think that context switches are a blessing. They're popular in software because that's a great way to, to do things in parallel, right? But, or at least in, in concurrent, concurrently. But for us as people, the ability to take your mind off of what you're dealing with is indis indispensable, right? If I'm struggling with something, what better way do I have to feel better than to do a complete context switch, do something else that I'm not struggling with and come back? quick wins, get the, the dopamine uh, feeling and keep it going. Sometimes to get that confidence back, doing that context switch, perhaps, to a different area where we do have confidence in 
and seeing if we can bring that back over into this this other context where we're struggling or feeling paralyzed or experiencing it, self-doubt can really help us. Uh, not just switching just to avoid it, but actually sometimes we can bring that confidence back in. Exactly. It's a momentary switch for you to come back in a different state with a clearer mind or with more confidence or with more momentum even. Do you think it's possible to completely overcome imposter syndrome? Yes, of course. You know, when the land is roaming with unicorns and uh, berries are, are abundant in tech firms, then people might not have uh, imposter syndrome. But in real life, I don't think we can eliminate it. But I think there's a lot we can do to reduce it. And I mentioned in the beginning that I think imposter syndrome has a lot to do with this gap between your current skills and your ability to learn or to pick up those skills. And that's why I think a lot of what we can do is invest in ourselves, right? When I see that I'm able to pick up new stuff, that gives me confidence to pick up even more new stuff. And, you know, a lot of people would recommend software engineers to pick up a new language every year, right? That's something that I'm sure you've heard in the past. I think that's great advice because that builds up your confidence in your ability to pick up new things. Then when you look at someone who's doing pretty crazy stuff, you say, hey, you know, maybe I can learn that too. So that's something I think everyone should do. Just, you know, keep that that muscle going, that big muscle we have in our heads. Keep it going, always exercise it. And of course, there's a lot we can do on the, on the individual level, but there's also a lot we can do as engineering managers or team leads or any other management capacity. And that is support the team members. So first of all, understanding that people are going through it. That's a huge part of the problem, right? And sometimes it's hard to spot because people may seem confident on the outside. So understanding when people might encounter imposter syndrome or you know, when people are actually in it and need a way out, that's you know something that good managers should know how to do. But then there are also more structured ways of supporting them and obviously very biased here, but I would say that one of the best ways to support people with imposter syndrome is let them own their skills by practicing and, you know, people practicing both what they're good at. So, you know, they can get those quick wins, but also what they're not good at. So they can see that they can improve serves, you know, two purposes. It both closes the gap and it gives them confidence at the same time. We've talked about this mostly from the individual level. If I am struggling with imposter syndrome, but imposter syndrome is always within a context of a situation or a team or, or a project that you're working on. And so how can those other people around us, how can we all support each other? And certainly that, that responsibility of a, of a manager or a leader to do that. So you're talking about like being able to recognize that. How, any thoughts on some of the ways and tools or, or experiences that managers can use to recognize and support when they see that someone is struggling with it? Recognizing is, is definitely more art than science. There are a few things that you can try to pick up on, like, you know, if someone is stuck, there's that's usually a good indication. You called it paralyzed earlier. So, you know, if someone is stuck, that might be an indication that they're having imposter syndrome. Also, if someone is trying to offload specific tasks. So, you know, if you see someone who, you know, whenever they get to do something with databases are always coming up with a reason why someone else should do it. That's a good indication they might have imposter syndrome and they think they can't pick up on database skills. They're not good enough. You know, I don't get databases. Everyone else is, is so good with that, but I don't get it, right? That's another signal you can pick on. There are a lot of signals, but it really 
it all evolves around being very to what your team is doing. And eventually that's what makes people managers good at their job. And that's why being a better developer doesn't necessarily equate to being a better people manager. And just another point there, one of the struggles I see that many managers have in technology situations is really trusting their team sometimes. And we're talking about, hey, someone is noticeably struggling with wanting to take on a task. It makes it that much harder, perhaps, for a manager to give them the support and the confidence and the resources to be able to do that successfully. Because one of the worst things you can do as a leader is take that from them because you're not letting them grow in that way. They're recognizing there will be some growing pains there. And so you're trying to balance this short-term win, like what do we need to do now with the long-term? We have this responsibility to develop and help grow our teams and their capabilities and everything. So that's a tough struggle that managers are dealing with. And imposter syndrome just brings in one more uh, piece to that to recognize it. Definitely. And, and, you know, and if you take away that task from that person, in a way you're, you're validating their uh, imposter syndrome, right? You've given them a proof point that they are real imposters, even though they aren't. So it's very dangerous to do these types of things. You always need to figure out the ways to support them. One of the ways could be pairing them up with someone who can actually do that. The other is highlighting their prowess or their other virtues in other areas, right? So, you know, if someone is constantly struggling with, like I said earlier, uh, database tasks, you might say, you know what, this is a, a database task, but actually it has a lot to do with the way this component is designed and, and the whole data model around it. And that's something I know you're really good at. So I really trust that you'd be able to close that gap. And I'm here to help you with the specific database stuff that you might need, but you know, just show how it does play to their skills. On this has been such a fun conversation and really excited and hope that our listeners are gonna take something from this. At this point, we're gonna transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll get one final piece of actionable advice from On. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. On, we've had a fun discussion around imposter syndrome, how to deal with it and move through it. What's that final piece of advice that you would suggest people to do to help overcome imposter syndrome in their own lives and careers so they can continue to grow and develop as they continue forward. Yeah, so I would say there's nothing better to deal with imposter syndrome than proving your self-worth to yourself. And you know, one of the ways you can do that is just investing in yourself, improving your skills. You can go and pick an open source project that you like and start contributing to it. You can create a new side project learn something new, practice your skills, do anything that you can to show yourself how quickly you can pick up stuff. And if there's one thing that we as engineers are good at is, like I said earlier, breaking problems apart, but also picking up new skills. That I would say for the individuals. And if you're a manager, you know, make sure that everyone in your team feels the support that they need. Make sure that you know they know that you've got their backs and also help them invest in their growth. You know, obviously I'm very biased and, you know, I uh, like people like developers specifically to practice their craft and specifically with Wilco. Uh, but even if it's not a Wilco, help your engineers find ways to invest in themselves and, and that way feel better. 
thanks so much for this conversation and really hope that uh, people are able to take something from this. If people are interested in connecting with you or learning more about Wilco and other things, where would you point them to? Well, you can go to Wilco on trywilco.com and, and you can sign up for free as an individual and just start you know, practicing. The best way to get a hold of me, I think, is probably Twitter. My handle is onfreund, O-N-F-R-E-U-N-D. If you tag me in a good tweet, there's a good chance I'll answer. But you can also DM me, um, LinkedIn, you know, anywhere that you want. Just if you write something nice, I'll probably answer. So hope that you and Wilco continue to grow and, and help uh, improve engineers' ability to, to practice and grow their skills. And so thanks so much for being here and wish you nothing but the best as you continue forward. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And I hope I, uh, I wasn't an imposter and I actually you know, said interesting things that people found interesting. I really hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars also at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who are struggling and need help taking the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at Engineering Management Institute dot org.